welcome to What Is My Podcast About? This is a podcast where we sit down fortnightly and discuss a different topic to kind of decide what our podcast is going to be about. I am your host, as always, Peter Akerley, and I am joined by the two best co-hosts in the world, Keith Ramsey. I'm surprised. I didn't know that was going to be me. And Matthew Grace. I'm very sure that that's not me. Well, I'm also joined by my two other personalities, and they're actually the best co-hosts in the world. (laughs) Uh... How you guys doing? Pretty good. <laughs> God. <laughs> Fuck. Anything going on in the world right now? We've had some recent announcements that are pretty exciting or interesting, depending on who yeah, you are. So we're actually recording this not long after uh, Nintendo announced the 35-year celebration for Super Mario Brothers. Uh, we got a few interesting things. They announced that all the Mario games are up on the Switch in some capacity with uh, the new All-Stars games. So before they did Super Mario All-Stars, which had... One, two, Lost Levels, three, and World, I believe. Yeah. And now they're doing the 3D All-Stars, which is going to have 64, Sunshine, and Galaxy. So this is, I believe, the first remake we've gotten of Sunshine at all. I'm pretty excited for it, because Sunshine holds a very special place in my heart, even though a lot of people aren't as big a fan of Sunshine as they are of the other Mario games. It was always super special to me, and uh, I'm looking forward to actually getting a chance to play it again. Because I never even had a GameCube growing up. I only played it by going to a friend's house who had it. Yeah, I, ne- I never really got to play it myself, so I'm very intimately familiar with the intro cutscene and the first little bit where you're using <laughs> Flood. It's a very good game, uh, but yeah, it's definitely interesting because there's been no re-release of Sunshine at all up to this point. It's been the mm-hmm. GameCube and nothing else. 64 got a remake for the DS, yeah. and Galaxy's still new enough that okay, I can understand why it didn't get anything. But this is very exciting for Sunshine specifically. We also got the uh, announcement of Super Mario 35. Uh, Super Mario Royale, thank you. Yeah, it. I'm going to be honest, it looks like someone took the idea for Super Mario 100, uh, the old hacked uh, online battle royale of Super Mario, and crossed it with Tetris 99. Yeah, because when yeah, you get defeated, you go to someone else's map and start fucking with them. Yeah, yeah. it's just... It's interesting, but it just kind of looks like they're just cashing in a little bit late on the game. And it doesn't look like they actually kind of had a cool idea they wanted to make, but just realized people liked that Tetris 99 and that Super Mario 100, so let's just make our own game and actually profit off of it. It certainly does look interesting, but also part of me is glad that it's only going to be around for a limited time. Yeah, but that's the other thing about uh, Super Mario 3D All-Stars. It's limited, apparently, as well, so make sure you pick it up if you really want it because they're taking it off the eShop, not just at a physical release. It's around for a short time only. You gotta pick up your sunshine while you still can. <laughs> uh, another interesting thing to mention is uh, the release of Mulan, where its release is on Disney Plus, which a lot of things have been doing now. But you have to pay uh, like twenty bucks to yeah, watch you still, Mulan. You have to pay Plus. more than you would to buy a ticket, but that's because presumably you're gonna watch it as a family. So, what well, no, you you permanently get this? You're I know, I know, it. but you still have to pay to watch it, kind of like you would if you were going to see it in theaters. Except you're essentially buying the DVD. On a streaming service you're already paying The thing that also is interesting about this is the fact that you have to buy Mulan as a DVD specifically, essentially. So you're buying it separate. But if you stop paying for Disney+, Plus, you lose Mulan. That's kind of lame. Yeah. Yeah. With most other subscription services, if you buy something through the subscription service, you still own it if you stop getting the subscription. Not Disney+. Plus. They want all of your money forever. To to be fair, there's other services like that that also do it. Like PlayStation. Get PlayStation Live, you have so many free games you can download every month. And if you stop paying your PlayStation subscription, you can't play them anymore. 
Oh yeah, that's a free game that you're getting through the system, so technically you're not oh, spending any money on it. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, this is not something that's, you know, something they can't do with the digital content. Digital content, you don't actually own, and that's just, it's starting yeah. to show more and more, like, you can lose any of your digital content at any point. If Steam were just to, for some reason, go bankrupt, all your games on Steam are gone. Yeah. Yep, that's so one of the reasons I still prefer physical media to digital content. Digital content, super convenient for not having to take up physical space and all that jazz, but super inconvenient for the fact that you can just lose it and never get it back. Yeah. And like uh, I remember years ago, uh, Portal went on for free on Steam. So I downloaded it and played it, loved it. And then something happened to my computer. I had to reinstall Steam and I couldn't get Portal anymore. It yep. wasn't there in my library whatsoever. Yeah. So just make sure you finish that backlog at some point on Steam because it might not be there forever. <laughs> it... it I mean, it will end eventually. The inevitable heat death of the universe will cause the fucking Steam library to go away. <laughs> Make sure, sure you play eventually. Yeah, you want to beat all those games before either of those scenarios happen. Uh, what will live longer, Steam or the heat death? Probably Steam, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but speaking of streaming services, Amazon Prime, literally the day we're recording this, released season two of The Boys, so yep. presumably neither one of you woke up super early this morning and have already watched the series, but... I'm looking forward to watching it uh, coming forward. For those of you who don't remember or haven't heard of season one, it's the story of what if superheroes had real human problems like alcoholism and abuse and all that shit. Uh, and it's a super fascinating kind of dark story. Yeah. So season two. It'll be good, probably. I don't know. Amazon's not paying me to say this, so fuck it. It'll be shit. Don't watch it. <laughs> but you seem excited about it. I am. I'm looking forward to seeing it. But no one else should watch it because Amazon's not paying me. <laughs> It's only for Peter. It's for me and me alone. I'm paying Amazon, so no one else is allowed to watch it. Anything else going on in the world these days? Not really. Well, I can think of one thing going on in the world, and that's Christopher Nolan finally got to release his fucking movie. Now, before we get into the topic, regardless, I feel like we have to put a disclaimer here, because it's been a while since we covered new content. So yes, spoiler alert, if... Once again, as we used to say all the time, and haven't had to say it in a while because we've been covering older topics, if you haven't watched the thing we're talking about, then we're going to spoil the thing we're talking about. We're not going to do a spoiler-free podcast and about this topic. That, without saying what that thing is, there's no way to talk about this without spoiling it. Yeah. yeah. We could not possibly say anything about this fucking movie without ruining everything about this movie. The, the, probably the only thing we could say that's not spoiler is talk about the opening opera scene because everyone fucking saw it if they went to the theaters and saw the trailer. Yeah. So, with that being said, for those of you who have made it this far, I, the best part is with our, the rules we've established, people aren't allowed to look at the title, so they still don't know what's about to be spoiled for them <laughs> until we announce at this point in the podcast that we're talking about Tenet. Uh, so yes, we're talking about Tenet. If you haven't watched Tenet yet... Go. Fuck off, go watch Tenet, and then come back and listen to this podcast. if you don't, you're going to be even more confused than you would be if you just watched the movie. Actually, I think listening to this, you would be confused, but you listening to this and then going into the movie, you might actually figure out what's going on and you have a better understanding. You might understand the movie better. I think this, in conjunction with the movie, will give you a much better understanding. So if you just watch the movie, you'll have a partial understanding. If you just listen to this, you'll have a very little understanding, but if you watch the two together... You'll probably actually have a pretty good understanding of the Think movie. Think of it like playing a video game with a guidebook. This is the guidebook to Tenet. <laughs> oh, God. A very rough 
God, we're no. setting expectations so fucking high for the level of clarity we're going to establish. We're going to teach you everything you need to know about physics, time loops, and just everything in general you'll need to understand this. Entropy. We're probably going to mention entropy a couple yeah. times. Wait, there's time travel in the movie? I mean, there was a version of time travel. Which I actually kind of do enjoy this, but it has some implications. Yes. Yes. So, Tenet. It's a movie... Fuck it. Uh, let's just get into the plot and then we can start talking about the things that don't make sense as they come up. The movie opens on an opera scene, as you've seen from every single trailer. Yeah, the trailer was just the opening scene of the movie The Opera House, where yeah. we end up meeting our main character, who's part of a unit that's going to save another CIA operative who's been made. Uh, and he's doing an arms deal for what, at this point, he believes is some sort of nuclear... Uh, yeah, I believe item. he calls it uranium or plutonium. Pl- plutonium 21, was it? Yeah, it's... Plutonium with some number, which yeah. is kind of what we're going to find out later in the movie, is the code word for this special item that is from the future, but not. Both from the future and also kind of from the past. Who yeah. knows? Time's it, weird. the codex, is it? The algorithm. Algorithm, that's it. So. Sci-fi uh, fantasy name for something. Yeah, it's the sci-fi fantasy name for a physical object, which in no way implies it's a physical object. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest, I still don't know what the algorithm fully does. <laughs> Yeah, it's not super well explained. Even when you see it fully assembled near the end of the movie, it's still not super clear what the fuck it's supposed to do. All I know is that apparently using it and then blowing up a cave ends the world. Yeah. So, uh, to get into it, uh, yes. The protagonist, as he's called in the movie, because he does not get a name, his only name is the protagonist. Literally the protagonist, because someone says, you're the protagonist of the story. He's like, I'm the protagonist! Later on in the movie, they're like, you... He's like, I'm the protagonist, why don't you tell me this? And it's like, you are the protagonist, but you're not the only protagonist. And he's like, but I am. My name is the protagonist. You all have actual human names. I am the maybe protagonist. His name, maybe his name really is protagonist. I've never considered this, but his name might actually just be protagonist. Can you imagine how conceited of parents they would have to be to name your son protagonist? And on this theory as well, if his name is protagonist, in her line of there's multiple protagonists, that just becomes more true because it's what we find out later on. If you go back and forward through time as what's allowed in this movie, there's multiple of him at the same time in this universe. <laughs> Alright, so... <laughs> the basic I logic, solved the movie! The basic logic of this movie is that at some point in the future, they create not quite time machines, but time-reversing machines. They're called oh, turn ta- or turnstiles. Yeah, turnstiles and they're entropy-reversing. Yeah, so you go in and your entropy is reversed, and essentially the way that works out is time seems to be flowing backwards for you from that point onwards. So, instead of going forward through time, you're now going backwards through time. Uh, Initially, we see it applied to objects, and then we see it applied to people as well. So, at a certain point in the movie, the character ends up going into one of these turnstiles. Sorry, the protagonist, not the character. Yeah. The protagonist goes into one of these turnstiles uh, and ends up going backwards in time. And the moment he starts going backwards in time, because the other version of him is at that same point in time, except going forwards, you end up with multiple versions of him at the same time. In fact, there's probably, like, four of him simultaneously. No, like, five of him simultaneously at one point in the movie. Yeah, and that's the thing. The movie does really well of uh, this whole entropy flipping thing. The first half of the movie is all just straightforward, uh, and then it's kind of revisiting that as the movie goes on. Yeah, so you see a lot of the same set pieces you saw earlier on in the movie, but from a different perspective, because now you're going back there with more information and in a different direction in time. Yeah, and honestly, if you think about it too, there's not a lot of settings in this movie too. It's a lot of the core things because we have the opera house, which is never really kind of touched on again. We have the airport, which is kind of the central 
point of this movie. Yeah, we go there multiple times in this movie. Uh, we got the boat that belongs to Seder, which is the villain. Yeah. Uh, we have the facility at the end. And then there's a few locations just in between for just dialogue, not the location themselves. Okay. The f- facility at the end. I wasn't sure if you meant the end chronologically, so the midpoint of the movie, <laughs> or the end of the movie, which is nearest well, the, the beginning fair, of chronologically. The, the end of the movie takes place after the Seder boat incident, but before the characters recruited. Yes. Fuck. I mean the protagonist. Yes. I call him Frog. As do we all. So... Uh, the opera host mission, he's kind of sent in to rescue someone who's been made, uh, who's collecting weapons grade plutonium as far as he understands, except it's actually a piece of an algorithm, which we'll get into later because we don't know that yet. Yeah, they save him, they're making their way out, and then you find, oh, this hijacking of this opera host is not actually a hijacking, it's to disappear you, and we're gonna, you know, like the line, it's like, I, I made contact with the guy, they can't possibly know it's me, it's like, uh, my job is to take you out or kill you, so yeah, like five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh... So yes, they rescue the guy. It also goes bad, obviously, as every rescue mission in movies ever does, especially if it's at the beginning of the movie. And he ends up being caught by Russian gangsters, I want to say. Now, here's the thing I find a little bit confusing about the opera scene. Even though it's overall not that important to the movie. But they go in knowing that their whole the whole point of the, the hijacking is to kill this one guy and leave no witnesses. But when they go in... Uh, they seem to be caught completely off guard that the bad guys are willing to blow up this whole opera house and everyone inside of it, that they have to make a mad dash to save all the civilians by getting rid of the bombs. Yeah, I I kind of get the feeling that at this point, the protagonist is still, like... I mean, he's been raised with the name protagonist all along. He can't let innocent civilians die. Otherwise, he's, he's no longer the protagonist. <laughs> he's been raised to believe he is a protagonist. Uh, but yeah, he's caught by Russian gangsters slash... KGB slash some sort of evil Russians, because Russians are bad, uh, and ends up taking a suicide capsule in order to kill himself so that he doesn't give away information on his own team. Yeah, it was gonna, they were like, oh, you're going to use this, haha, and the guy ends up getting rid of it, but then the guy that was with him ends up holding it out behind him in the chair. It's like, what's that guy going to do? Is that guy implying that, like, I don't trust the protagonist. He's definitely going to talk, so here, you kill yourself with this, I'll be fine. Yeah, I don't know. They have one suicide pill between the two of them. If one of them takes the pill and the other doesn't, why does it matter which one of them is the one that takes the pill? Because one of them still won't take the pill. This man did not trust protagonists at all. No. Uh, Now, there's another thing we have to mention about the Opera House that we kind of skipped over. But this is actually the first time in the movie we also see any hint of the reversed entropy. Because there's a point where one of the guys who's actually raiding the place, who's uh, part of the group to, uh, to disappear the guy, planting the bombs. And he says, hey, pl- plant that bomb. And the protagonist's like, oh, f- uh, what do I do with the bomb? And the guy quickly finds out, oh, you're not one of us. And it's about to shoot him. And then we see that the protagonist is looking at what looks like a bolt hole that's starting to reform. And the bullet goes back out of the door into the gun. And he just narrowly avoids it. Yeah. Yeah. Shoots Buddy, well, reverse shoots Buddy through the head. He dies and the protagonist survives. So that's kind of his first hint that something weird is going on with the world yeah uh but anyways after taking his suicide pill he wakes up in a bed which is not how suicide pills are supposed to work <laughs> and, and he's he, a little bit he, confused although he immediately clues in the pills a fake yeah so it puts you into an induced coma though we do have two possibilities from this point on there is the the whole movie is just his death throes as he's slowly dying after taking the pill or it's the reverse entropy you can choose what you want to believe in yeah, fair. Uh, but apparently these are 
every CIA-issued suicide pill does this. Yeah, it's essentially a test of kind of character, essentially, where if you take the suicide pill, then you can be trusted with a higher level of security clearance because you're willing to kill yourself to protect what needs to be protected, whereas the people who don't take the pill aren't deserving of the higher security clearance because they value their own lives above the necessary secrets or other people's lives. But doesn't this also imply that Tenet is actually just backed by the CIA? <laughs> kind of. I think that was part of the reason why they went through what they did with him, was to fake his death so he could go kind of unnoticed by everyone. Oh yeah, definitely being matter. presumed dead globally is a lot more beneficial for working for this organization, as we find out. Yes. Uh, no one's looking for him now, because he's fucking dead. Yeah. Uh, but then we get another, like... Kind of weird scene where Buddy, who's kind of explaining the situation to him after he wakes up and explains, like, you've been given a second chance. Uh, the fact that you were willing to kill yourself shows that you're willing to jump into a burning building to save other people's lives, is the example he gives. Uh, and then he's, Or kill yourself so the people in the building die, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, a burning building! Boom! Shoots himself in the fucking head. <laughs> Not dealing with this! Uh, so he's given a secret gesture slash code word... Which will kind of allow him further access into the super secret syndicate of secrecy. So that he can better involve, uh, investigate this shenanigans that are going on with the backwards traveling bullets. And the code word he's given is tenant, and it's his fingers interlocked. I don't know. Just watch the movie to see it's what exactly It's time coming together from yeah. both sides. Things traveling forwards and backwards and then passing through each other. Um... But the thing I find really funny about this is when the protagonist tries to ask this guy more questions about it, he's like, not everyone passes the test. I don't know anything more than this already. And he's like, but you already know the code word. And at no point at, in the movie does the protagonist say like the code word and then also say, I tried to kill myself or something like that. <laughs> so like, buddy who knows the code word could very easily investigate this and no one would fucking question shit about it. Well, do we have to presume that everyone that knows the code word at some point tried to kill himself with a CIA pill? Probably, especially the people who are definitely not American. We uh, have to assume they tried to kill themselves. Now, on top of this as well, this guy says he only knows the code word, the, uh, the gesture, and to tell people what they're supposed to do from this point on. But beyond that, are we supposed to assume that this man was only recruited just to give this information so he knows nothing about what Tenet actually does? It's just, yeah, you just, when you find people that took the pill, you just teach them this, and that's it. <laughs> I also love the idea of, like, a member of the tenant organization, like, coming in, rescuing, like, a CIA agent who's been captured, but, like, finds out he didn't try and kill himself and he's just being tortured, and they're like, oh, fuck, you didn't kill yourself. Um, yeah, I guess we still got a spot for you in our organization. You're gonna teach people the secret code word, and then you're gonna fuck right off out of my story. <laughs> what if the situation is people who accidentally took the pill, or for, uh, other people, like, you know, they're being tortured, it's like... Uh, just give me the suicide pill. I was like, oh, I'll give you the suicide pill if you tell me what you want. And they give up the information, so they give them the pill. Yeah. Or, like, I like the idea of, like, a, a get-smart character. Like, a really dumb luck spy. Like, a Mr. Magoo-type character. Who's, like, having his morning coffee, and he takes, like, blood pressure pills in order to, like, not have a heart attack. And actually takes the suicide pill in the morning. Like, congratulations. I didn't see the torture, but clearly you were being tortured and took the suicide pill. Here's all the information in the world. Or what was it? Those fake tooth pills? Yeah. It's like he just falls, hits the ground, actually bites it. <laughs> Welcome to Tenet. So anyways, um, he's told to go to a secret facility to learn a bit more about this. And this is where things 
start making less and less sense for me as we go on. Um, because he's brought into a facility where the whole kind of reverse entropy situation is explained and about how certain things seem to travel backwards in time. So if you hold your hand above a bullet that's got this effect, nothing happens. But if you drop the bullet in the future, then it will fall back into your hand just as you're dropping it. And then you'll be holding the bullet after yeah, that. Which I feel this was a good indicator of like how the rules work. Because he couldn't just like will it back into his hand. He actually had to do the mo- motion as if he dropped it and reversed. Yeah, he had to literally think of dropping the bullet. And then in that way, it goes backwards through time. Um, and he asks like whether or how fate exists or how free will exists and she points out that even reversing the film or playing it forwards nothing happens to the bullet until he chooses to act so clearly he still has agency over the actions of the bullet which is then thrown right out the fucking window for the rest of the movie and free will is fucking gone that's true yep. uh, but i do want to point out one thing this scientist lady fucking recruit her into tenant as a field agent with like all those bullet tricks she was doing it's like i yeah. think you just give her like a full reverse like kit of gear and she'll be fine she'll solve all, all of your problems yeah but we also get one of the parts which really makes me start to question how this entropy reversal effect works. Because he's given an empty gun, he's told to point it at a wall that's been riddled with bullets, and pull the trigger, and then a bullet comes shooting out of the wall back into his gun. He talks about how weird it feels, and she's like, it's because you're not shooting a bullet, you're catching a bullet, and that's why it feels fucking weird. But does that mean that with the turnstile in the future... Someone put a bullet-riddled wall, as well as the gun that shot the bullets into the wall, into a turnstile and sent it backwards in time? Or did they, like, send normal bullets through and then embed them in a wall and then send that backwards in time? I, it's just... So I think it is because, uh, as we find out in the first half, to use inverted items, you don't have to specifically uh, use them while they're inverted. So once the bullets go through, if they were ever put back through the other way, they remain inverted. Yeah. So I think it was just the bullets were inverted. So they're always going to react that way with a gun. Fair. Regardless of it being inverted, because the bullets themselves are the ones that are inverted. Fair. It's There are just some super weird parts if you kind of look too closely at any of the individual moments of inversion. Yeah, and the, the comment about like you're catching the bullets, I think she was just explaining how it appears to him. And that's yes. why it feels weird, because he's not actually firing the gun. He's essentially firing the gun in reverse. We also get lots of other really cool explanations about how this inversion works a little bit later on. But we'll get to that when we get to that. we got so much more movie to get through before. And uh, the other thing to mention here, because she also is the one who brings up the, oh, you're lucky you dodged that inverted bullet, because that's going to be, you're going to screw for life, essentially, because it took me a moment to think about it, but if you get shot by an inverted bullet, that technically means you were shot forever forwards, because the bullet's going backwards, so it actually left your body at that point, which means that wound can never heal, because the bullet's in you forever from this point on. Yeah. That wound will never heal, and that's why also. Yeah. It also means that if you look at it from another direction, you got that wound at that point in time, but that means you had that wound forever before that moment in time. Yeah. So you would die so much quicker because it's not like you got shot and it takes a week to heal. It takes a week to heal, but that goes backwards in time. So by the time you've been shot, you've already been healing for a week and you've been going through the healing process. It's fucking gruesome if you try and think yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, which is why that's uh, such a point later in the movie with the character of Cat, where she gets shot by a reverse bullet, and they have to literally reverse her body so that it can heal to the point where she wasn't shot. Not quite, because she was definitely still shot, because she has the bullet wound Yeah, she still has the scar, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. I guess the, the bullet needs to heal in the same direction it was. Yeah, the wound needs to be 
traveling in the same direction as the bullet was. Otherwise, they kind of go further and further apart. And yeah. it doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense anymore. Anyways, so our protagonist is tasked with kind of figuring out what's going down. And he's like, well, these bullets, they've been put through the inverter. What's their chemical makeup? So I can figure out where in the world they were made. And the scientist lady brings up the very good point of just because it was fucking made there doesn't mean it was inverted there. It could have been made today and inverted 10 million years from now. Yeah. It's not really going to solve our problems, but whatever. And he's like, just tell me anyways. And he gets sent to India to a very specific arms manufacturer in India who has a very secret life. And this is where we get introduced to Neil? Yeah, Neil. Yeah. Neil, the very cool, sexy, suave spy character who's also friends with the protagonist, but also not friends with the protagonist. It's a weird relationship that only makes sense at the end of the movie. Yeah, because at this point, it looks like uh, the protagonist is recruiting Neil at this point, and Neil just seems to be like a really smart guy. He's like, oh, uh, order a drink for me and my friend here. He'll have a Diet Coke and I'll have alcohol because I need drinks. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, you did your homework. It's like, well, I know you never drink. That's your favorite drink. He's like, that's not my favorite drink. It's your favorite drink. Yeah. He's like, I know. I, I know because we're secret best friends. Yeah. He's like, what? What was that? Can you speak up, Neil? No. I know you never drink on the job. He's like, oh, that's cool. You did your homework. I know this is your favorite drink. It's not my favorite drink. It's your favorite trick. It's either your favorite trick now or it will be in a decade. Just fucking trust him. <laughs> what are you talking about, Neil? Uh, nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I've never met you before. <laughs> this is the first time we met. I definitely don't know what tenet is. You just did the hand motion. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so they end up deciding to bungee jump into the top of a fucking skyscraper. Now, this is something I feel like, because this is kind of the last time we get use of someone moving purely forward using reverse technology. But that's such a cool concept that I feel like could have done more. Yeah. yeah. The idea of them like bungee jumping from the ground and using the reverse time aspect of it to pull them back up rather than to jump down was such a fucking cool moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we see that. They break in. And they find out that the man isn't actually the arms dealer. It's his wife. Because it's a man's world, baby. And she can't do all the things a man could get away with. Yeah, this is Priya, and she kind of becomes another core character. But uh, a thing to remember about this is the way Tenet is structured, the organization discourages people from getting to know each other. It's pretty much share the information you need, don't talk about yourself. And we learn that through a lot of characters. Uh, Ives later on uh, doesn't really talk about much stuff. Same with Priya. They just kind of give the facts and move on. So all of the side characters don't develop much in this story. Yeah. Aside from like their one-dimensional... Because, like, well, we gotta follow the rules, and Ives is, I'm gonna go shoot some guys. Yeah. We get a little bit more of that later on. So we have a conversation between uh, the protagonist and Neil a little bit later on. When the protagonist is like, hey, you knew some things that I didn't know. Why didn't you tell me those things when you knew them? And Neil's just like, our number one rule is suppression. And it's just like, clearly that's a rule throughout the entire organization of... You have to suppress what you know because you don't want to disseminate information between too many people. Yeah, and, and that's one of the complaints that I've seen like online of people that didn't like the movie. It's they did feel like the characters were developed. Well, that's kind of the point of how this organization works. The characters we're only supposed to see the development of is the protagonist, Neil, Cat, and Sater. Yeah, those are the only four we're really supposed to get to know. Everyone else is supposed to try and keep as much information to themselves as possible. Yeah, and those the character developments is because we're in situations. Neil, uh, not Neil, uh, Cat and Sater don't really have the t- tenant rules, so they're not trying to keep things secret. 
and Neil and the protagonist is a special situation because the protagonist is who we're following. And as we find out, Neil is actually the protagonist's best friend from the future that was recruited by him. Because, in the past. In the past, because the protagonist <laughs> is actually the person who founds Tenet. Yes, we get that at the end, but the protagonist founds Tenet, which is a whole other fucking can of worms, but we'll yeah, fucking get it. At the point of this movie, Tenet wasn't found yet. So I have to assume Tenet is an organization that only goes backwards. Yes, because it specifically said uh, during Priya's conversation with the protagonist, uh, a little bit later in the movie, I think it's their second conversation together, uh, the protagonist brings up the fact that, like, this is weird, all the stuff that we know, how do we know all this stuff? And Priya brings up the fact that Tenet wasn't formed in the past, it was formed in the future and then sent backwards in time uh, through formation, so... Yeah, it was one of those things where it was formed in the future, little do we know, by the protagonist who's currently not at the point where he's going to form it, and then it gets brought back in time. Kind of like the algorithm. Made in the future, sent to the past. Whole fucking can of worms will get there. Yeah, because like I thought they solved it really well because I was like, well, there's no time travel, it's communication back and forth. And what we find out with Seder, which I thought was a really cool concept, was he doesn't need to hear back from them he just needs to send the messages and you can send messages to anyone easily you just need to have a secret code send it forward and then they will do whatever they need to do and what they do is they reverse something hide it on the planet and then uh he knows where the coordinates are because that's the information he told them so for example Seder will bury a bunch of bullets out in the middle of the desert give the coordinates to the future they'll find them in the, in the future reverse them and then send them back like by reversing them and from Seder's perspective all it looks like is fucking write something in his diary buries a box of bullets Waits like 30 seconds and then digs the bullets back up and they've been reversed because of the way time works. I'll get into it. I have issues with this. I'll fucking get into it. (laughs) So, the protagonist is, after his shenanigans in India, is sent to England to find out more about this British nationalist, or British national who's also from Russia. Played by Sir uh, Michael Caine, who is also named Sir Michael in this movie, which is pretty fun. Uh, And... While he's there, he finds out about this Russian oil baron who's not actually an oil baron. He's a weapons dealer kind of shenanigans. Uh, who uh, is bad, and his name is Sater. And, yeah. there's and probably he also more is Estonian. Estonian, sorry. Um, and he comes from a secret village called Stetska 12 or some shit like that. Yeah, it was like a, a manufacturing city during uh, like World War II, Cold War era stuff. And he ended up being the only survivor of the town, which we find out was due to future manipulation. Yeah. Who wanted him to end the world. Yeah, the town was destroyed when he was a little kid, and he got out of there and made a bunch of money as an oil baron after that. And then quite weirdly, like a week or so ago, the town just exploded again, which was weird. Um, But whatever, we don't have to worry about that so much. That's the thing I love, because if you didn't, if you weren't paying attention to the movie... Uh, and this was kind of like, this whole scene was kind of just brushed away with, oh, this is just information to move forward. You don't look like a rich guy. That's the end of the scene. But literally, we just found out how the movie ends. Yeah. Because he talks about the raid on one of Seder's locations uh, that happened about a week ago. There was an explosion. No one knows what really happened. And that's about it. And that's where the movie ends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That whole that... siege he's talking about at the beginning <laughs> of the movie is the siege at the end of the movie. Oh Which is literally how, that's how the protagonist knows where and when to go to find the algorithm uh... after... Sater collects all of the algorithm because he's like, where in the world? It could be literally anywhere at any time in the world right now. And he's like, wait, no, it's not. It's in this town on August 14th because I was told about a raid that happened on August 14th in this town. Yeah. 
That's us raiding this town. The more you think about it, the more this movie is kind of developing a time travel method that's similar to Bill and Ted, where it's just, I just have to think about it, and then it happens. It's... I actually really enjoy the way the time travel works on humans specifically. Yeah. Because it's fairly well thought out, and it follows a lot of logical rules. Mm -hmm. And unlike other time travel movies, the issue I have with a lot of time travel movies is they'll do the same sort of thing where it's like, you go back in time... But you've always, you were always going to have gone back in time and do this the exact same way. So things play out the same way. But now it's kind of ironic because it plays out because your intention to go back and change the way it plays out. Yeah. But every so often in fucking time travel movies, they have like one big play where they go back in time and things play out fucking differently this time around. It's well, just like that doesn't fit with the rules you've already established. Yeah, that's the, there's the different rules of time travel. So there's the, the faded time travel, which you were talking about, where right. everything happens the way it's supposed to be. That includes you going back in time and trying to do whatever you're trying to do was also something that already happened. There is the paradox one where you can go back in time, but you can't really change anything because nature will find a way to influence it back to the right path. Uh, and then there's another interesting one, which is, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's essentially the world fixes itself. So essentially say it's the grandfather paradox, which comes up a lot in this movie. So you go back in time to kill your grandfather. You don't disappear because you're still going to be born because something else will fill that role of being your mm-hmm. grandfather because you were removing it. So you were moving a factor. The world's supposed to still follow the same path up to a certain point. So you can change whatever you want, but the world will find a way to correct itself. Yeah. And then... Mm-hmm. Usually what most time travel movies are doing where they can't affect the past is it's actually not time travel, it's dimension hopping. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a problem with the way this movie handles it because this movie is very consistent and kind of follows its own rules a lot. Yeah. It's other movies always have a tendency... I forget what the fuck the movie's called. The the thing about this is this movie, even though it keeps saying time traveling, it's not really time traveling. It's just entropy reversing. Yeah, you're able to reverse time, but you still have to follow the flow of time. So I'm a bit shaky on one thing here because I don't know if when you reverse yourself... Do you age forwards through that thing, or does it age you backwards? I think you continue aging forwards just because of the fact that your whole entropy is reversed, and it's not like your cell's entropies are reversed, so everything collectively would continue. Like, when you get your entropy reversed and you start traveling backwards in time, that's just relative to the rest of the world. You yourself still... Am- of vision, envision yourself yeah, that's traveling forward. Yeah. I was always time. like, because uh, they never really answer this specifically. Yeah, because your direction, once you've been reversed and are traveling reverse through time, yeah, it's like you're headed in that direction. Everything related to you is headed in that direction. It's just it feels like you're going backwards because everything else in yeah. reference to yeah. you is moving the other and, way. And that's from your is. perspective, it's not you're going backwards in time. It's everything else is going yeah. backwards. Through and time. that's the big key to it too, because we know that it's scientists in the future that do most of the stuff that affects the movie, but they can never go to them to find out details because they just have to live yeah. up life normally. Yeah. And we're told that if you ever meet yourself in reverse, then it'll cause a paradox. Well, well it's not that it'll cause a well, paradox. It's, it's that it's your cells with interact, or not your cells, but your atoms interacting with the same atoms whose entropy is reversed, inverted atoms interacting with non-inverted mm. atoms cause the whole shit to fucking explode. Well, on top of that, it, another way that could be easily used to explain this is try thinking of, like, having magnets reverse polarity that are the exact same, right? It's going to be a violent reaction when you yeah. try to force them together. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways... Where were we? <laughs> so, at this point... The meeting with Sir Michael, is that where we yeah, left we're off? Yeah, we're talking about how... And then we fucking delved into other bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> we went into physics... 
Oh, but just before we get back to that thing, the, I was going to say, the thing I like about this is because it's not time travel because they're just reversing the flow back and forth, which is really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. But it does mean that it's not something that's a super available, overpowered tool either because yeah. they have to literally live out the time. So uh, later on in the movie, when they have to travel back in time through the turnstile back to the one at the airport that takes about a week, they were just hanging out in a, in a shipping container on a boat for a week until they got back to that point. Yeah. And that's another, like, super cool thing is they they have the rules very clearly established for this time travel. Mm -hmm. So that it keeps them from fucking with it and they kind of follow their own rules. Yeah, and it's even explained uh, in the system that... Because they, they even in the movie tell you to not think of it as time travel. It's just thinking of time in a different way. So yes. you're not moving through time. You're just moving through time, but you're reversing a flow, essentially. Yeah. So, fucking the protagonist ends up deciding to meet up with Kat... Because that's his in into getting to meet Seder. Kat is Seder's wife, uh, who they are not happy with each other, as far as we can tell. And I love the whole introduction scene in the restaurant. Yeah. Uh, so Kat has dinner with Seder, or not with Seder, with the protagonist, and explains her relationship with Seder, and then says, We're never going to talk again. I'm not going to put any hope in you. I know what's going to happen. You're going to get the shit kicked out of you by my husband's men. It's nice meeting you. Goodbye. He's like, here, take my phone number, call me if you ever need anything. She's like, you won't answer the call. He's like, call anyways, you might be surprised. Yeah. Uh, and then she, like, leaves the restaurant just as all the goons show up to beat up the protagonist. Yeah. And then the protagonist is like, <laughs> he's in the car, and he's like, he wants you to watch. He's like, oh, please, no. But he wants you to watch, and you know your husband always gets what he wants. He's like, and so he walks into the kitchen with his food, and just followed by the different goons. He's like... Uh, I have a complaint about my food. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I ordered the hot, like, or whatever yeah. the fuck it is he said. Uh, and then he just, like, very mechanically kicks the shit out of every also, guy in that room. I don't think in an action movie I've cringed as hard as I did in one particular trading of blows in this scene. It was when he took the cheese grater to oh, the yeah, that was, Oh, that would, that would hurt my soul. Yeah. Oh, that was so iffy. So yes, in this fight scene, he's kind of beating people up with a whole bunch of different kitchen implements and then he slams Buddy's face down on a table and he grabs a cheese grater and grates the guy's face into a cabinet. <laughs> into a cabinet. Oh, I'm so <laughs> glad it doesn't show anything yeah. of that. And then he just leaves and the fucking driver of Cat's car like sees him walk out and he's like, oh fuck, gotta go. We did not see what we wanted to see. <laughs> yeah, as you as you can tell, your husband wants you to see all of his goons get beat up by that man. That's exactly what he wants you to see. Don't ask any questions about it and don't tell him. Your husband always gets what he wants and that's what happens. So that means that's what your husband wanted. <laughs> so anyways, um, the protagonist now has a bit more information about Cat uh, and all this stuff. He meets with her again and finds out that her husband has leverage over her in the form of the painting, which he keeps at an airport. Uh, the painting's been fraudulent, and I don't understand. I kind of wasn't able to follow the logic super well as how this so leverage works. Essentially, it's because her whole livelihood is based around the fact that she's uh, able to identify art and all that stuff, and she sold him a false piece. So since she's so good, he can feasibly say that she ripped him off by telling him it was a real piece so he'd spend all the money and her organization profited from essentially selling a false piece mm -hmm. so by having that he can authenticate it with anyone else if she gets out of line and destroy her whole career okay to be fair this was the point in the movie where fucking christopher nolan's love of having the bass be louder than the <laughs> dialogue uh really started to fuck with me because i had a hard time following some of the conversations that were happening uh, but anyways, yes, he's told that she keeps his painting inside the airport. 
Um, and then kind of the protagonist and Neil are sitting down to discuss this whole situation. And they discover that the airport, like, gallery type area has a surprising amount of fucking security to it. And there's probably something hidden deep within the fifth level of security that they should uh, look into and find out more about. So you discover, uh, they devise this whole plan to break into the, like, secret airport gallery area. I forget the word for it. And then go through different oxygen prohibited rooms. I did love this part too because uh, when Neil goes in the first time he's like he's staking out the place and he's like talking about all the stuff and it's like and how long does it take for people to get out if the thing they're like oh 10 seconds like oh you give them a whole 10 seconds and it's like the reason we're such a good company is because we take your property very seriously. It's like, as people die in here, your property is our top priority. Our staff safety is our second priority. I also love that little exchange because he's like, one thing that could be really damaging towards documents is, and Buddy cuts him off, he's like, fire. We have a very good fire suppression system. He's like, no, water. Do you just dump water all over stuff? He's like, oh, no, no, no. We drain the room of fucking oxygen to cut off fire. We use gases to which displace all the oxygen. Which is also great, too, because when they do their trick to break into the place, he's in the room with them, and his whole spiel, like, we take your property very seriously, but apparently not the property owners, because he fucking dips the moment yeah, it happens yeah. and leaves them both in there. It, it was great. It starts happening, leans over to the guy, and he's like, ten seconds? And he just <laughs> he panics just and runs. runs. Yeah. Um, but we also get really cool scene where they're, like, preparing for this, and they're, like, hyperventilating to, like, pack oxygen and then seeing how long they can hold their breath for to make sure they're ready to go through this ordeal. And then, uh, fucking, he, like, does his breath-holding technique, and the third guy that they've brought on to help out, like, looks at his watch, he's like, so 45 seconds. He's like, plenty of time, it's only gonna take 40 seconds. He's like, yeah, but aren't you gonna be running this entire time? He's like... Fucking don't worry about it. It'll be fine. It's Which is cool. Because in the scene too, like Neil is like stone cold calm with everything and he's the protagonist starting to panic and shit. Yeah. Uh, now, the, thing, the great part about this too is because they're having, this This is pretty much a heist moment in the movie. Yeah. And we're having the heist prep moment and it's like, okay, I got a plan but you're not going to like it. And it's like, what's the plan? It's like, I want to crash a plane. Crash a plane? It's like, not from the air. Yeah. From the tarmac. He's like, what about all the people? There won't be any people inside of it. It's a shipping plane. He's like, what about the crew? He's like, we'll kick them out of the plane. He's like, do you know how to fly the plane? We'll kick them out after the plane starts flying. You're going to kick people out of a moving train is, uh, plane? He's like, I don't know. We'll deploy the fucking chute. It'll be fine. Don't worry about do it. Do it carefully. Yeah. It won't hurt anyone. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be fine. You, your real issue is going to be when we start talking about the gold. What gold? Don't fucking worry about <laughs> it. There's just gold involved. <laughs> I know we said not to talk about it, not to worry about it, but there's gold. Don't worry about it. He's like, what happens if you get caught? I mean, look at my face. The first thing they're going to think is terrorist, but then when nobody dies as a result of this, I'll just get extradited to some other fucking country. It'll be fine. the system. Don't worry about it. They'll increase the airport security for a couple months, but everything will just blow over. Yeah, but then we get the scene of them going uh, pretty much room to room, picking locks. Protagonist fucks it up and breaks the pick. And the uh, Neil actually tries to make a run for another door, but just gets fixed at the right time, and they end up going in. Yeah. Uh, that's where they find that, oh, this place had a turntile the whole time as well. And it uh, this is actually our first introduction to a turntile. Yeah. And it's a really fucking cool scene, because they kind of walk into the two side rooms of a turntile. Because yeah. the way the turntile works is you walk in one room, and then you walk out after going through the time machine the other side of the and room. And then there's some sort of uh, plexiglass pane separating yeah. the two. And I'm yeah. assuming this is some sort of... Like, it's to visually 
distinct both sides, but also I can see it being a safety precaution, so you don't accidentally bump into your past self looking again. Yeah. yeah, and it's also one of the things where they specifically explain, or Ives does much later in the movie, of when you're about to walk in, make sure you look through the glass and see yourself coming out the other side. Because if you don't see yourself coming out the other side, that means you didn't properly go through the machine and something goes wrong, so don't get in the machine in and the first place. also a little bit of foreshadowing to what's going to happen. There's a bullet lodged in the glass. Yeah, so we see bullets lodged in the glass, and Neil's like, what happened here? And the protagonist is like, not what happened, what's going to happen. Now, because I know how entropy refers to objects. This right? is a bit of a problem I have with the protagonist having a bit of a shifting understanding of things. So in this scene, he sees the bullets, it holes in the thing, and the gun broken up, and he's like, oh, it hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. But later on in the movie, we have multiple things that hint something's going to happen, and he never clues in. For example, uh, when uh, the highway chase scene, when they steal from uh, the uh, other plutonium box, the mirror, you can see very clearly, is cracked without anyone hitting it. Yeah. And it's like, he doesn't clue in. It's like, oh, something's going to happen while we're doing this, and it's going to break the mirror. And vice versa that, when they do the initial uh, entropy reverse, and they go back in time to help Cat. As they get closer to the location, he's got a bruise that starts bleeding. And it's like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. It's like, well, maybe you're going to get stabbed soon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyways, uh, this is one of the cooler moments because we see from like a purely non-inverted perspective what it looks like when someone inverts themselves. Yeah. Which is, it just looks like two fucking people pop into existence simultaneously on both sides of the fucking turnstile. Yeah. And start coming out. Uh, one in the room with Neil, one in the room with the protagonist. Uh, the protagonist fights this mysterious shadow man who's definitely not just the protagonist from the future, slash past, slash time is weird. Well, that's uh, the thing. The protagonist is fighting the person in the mask, and Neil goes after another one. And then you see when Neil pulls the mask off, but we don't get to see who it is. Because he and, falls back around the corner. Yeah, and he never mentions who it is. So at this point in the movie, I was like, oh... It's probably Neil and the protagonist, so he's fighting himself, and Neil yes. went after himself, saw it was himself, and realized what was going on. That was my exact thought yeah. process, too. It was like, it's Neil and the protagonist. Neil realizes that's himself, so he realizes the protagonist is fighting himself, so he has to stop himself, or stop the protagonist from killing himself in the future. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Which is exactly what we see. He runs over, grabs the gun, and he's like, you can't kill him, don't worry about it, and then he just fucking Get zipped up teleports <laughs> backwards through a wall. Yeah. Um... And so then they end up running out of there with much more questions than they had. The first little hit we get that something kind of weird is going on is later on when they're giving a report, they talk about the fact that in this fight scene, Neil fought against a non-inverted person and the protagonist fought against an inverted person. And I didn't think about what that actually implied at all. I was just like, oh, cool. I guess one of them yeah, was well, inverted. Once we saw how the turnstile works later on in the Seder interrogation scene, yes. I was like, oh, it's going to be him, both of them. Which is a really cool thing to think about the fact that the turnstile actually creates loops itself. Yes. And you cannot exist outside of it. Yeah. Uh, so, travel forwards in time a little bit. Uh, the protagonist ends up interacting with Seder a lot more. And ends up telling him that he knows about the plutonium that they were trying to get back in the opera. And that he knows where it is now. And he was willing to make a deal where he collects the uh, plutonium in exchange for Seder giving him money and also not killing his wife, I guess. Yeah, because, well, the beautiful thing here is because uh, the protagonist sets it up to make the satyr think he's sleeping with his wife. Yes. 
And then like, even like when they have in the meeting, he's like, are you sleeping with my wife? And he's like, well, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Because Seder specifically says, have you slept with my wife? And he's like, not yet. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to take you to the graveyard. I'm going to cut up in your throat, then cut off your testicles. Put it in your throat. Because I enjoy watching people that I don't like pull their testicles out of their throat. Yeah. And all the while, the protagonist is just like, oh my, that sounds interesting. Are you sure that'll work? Now, here's probably what the stupidest thing of it. The, the protagonist just mentions, oh, do you like opera? And he's like, we will talk more. <laughs> I always looked for a friend who could talk about opera with me. What do you think about the great Giovanni? Isn't he fantastic? Oh, wait, you actually wanted to talk about the plutonium incident at the opera. No, that's interesting, too, but can we go back to talk about opera? <laughs> I really my true passion. Really, she only likes art, my wife, and I, I just need to talk to someone about opera. I can't talk to my goons. Have you seen them? Yeah. Uh, so then uh, we get a little bit later, and Sater threatens to beat his wife on the boat. And she, uh, at this point, the protagonist has been invited to stay on the boat with him because he's going to do that job for them. Well, it is specifically because the wife tried to kill him, and he saves him. Yes. And then when he's having the one-on-one, it's like, okay, you want to reward me, don't punish your wife for this. It's like, you think she unclipped my hook? That was my fault. I was like, yeah. well, at least he understands it was stupid to get close to her after threatening her all these years. Yeah. Uh, so then he kind of goes into her bedroom and threatens her, uh, threatens to beat her, and she's like, you can't beat me. He's in the next room. And he's like, if I can't have you, no one can, which is a big hint towards the end of the movie. Uh, anyways, uh, she gets all defensive and she's like, if... You beat me. I will scream so loud that the protagonist in the other room hears. And he's like, you think he can stop me? He's like, she's like, no, I don't think he can. But I know he'll fucking try and you'll have to kill him when he tries to stop you. And then you'll lose your business partner in the future. And he's like, touche. All right. Good night. Have a lovely <laughs> life. Well, what can I say? When you're right, you're right. So he fucks off. They... Now, this is when the helicopter shows up with the inverted gold. And yes. the protagonist, who is peeking in on it, gets beaten. He's like, fine, I'll, we'll do the plan and we'll go our separate ways. Now, this this is one of the major scenes that I started to take issue with how inverted objects worked. Because if you think about it, the logic is that he buried a chest somewhere, wrote in his diary or whatever, like, I buried a chest here. It'd be lovely if there was gold inside of it. And then they inverted a bunch of gold in the future put it in the chest he buried in the ground, and then he digs up the chest and finds the gold. That kind of makes sense, like, abstractly, but if you think really closely, what's the gold's fucking path after being inverted? Because you would think it's just inverted, put in a chest, and then travels backwards in time. Except we know it's not, because it doesn't get inverted again when it's dug up, which means that instead of being in the ground uh, for all that time... It was actually in Seder's possession for most of that fucking time and then sold off to other people. So did they invert it and then put it in a bank in Seder's name knowing that it would go backwards in time and he would end up taking, depositing it into the bank, which would look from the inverted perspective of him taking it out of the bank and then he would like get it all bloody and then bury it in the ground in the hole he was going to do? Because that's the fucking gold's traveling path, path, not its actual path of being buried and then dug out. Well, here's the other problem. Seder can just invert things himself. Yes. So, it would make a lot more sense if they had a throwaway line, at least to me, of they invert someone, that person digs up the gold and then re-inverts it with them, then the gold's path and it being both buried in the ground and also in Seder's possession at the same time fucking makes sense to me. But if you start talking about how Seder dug up inverted gold and now it exists in the real world even though the only way it was in that hole was because it was inverted and then put in that hole in the past, there's no reason why the gold would be in two places and it can't be in the hole if he's fucking dug it up already. <laughs> 
And, and I agree. This is where, like, a few of those, because the highway chase scene is one I, I think I missed something because I couldn't follow it the whole way. The highway chase scene. All right, so let's talk about temporal pincer maneuvers. Because in theory, it's a really fucking cool idea. Oh, it's definitely mm-hmm. cool. So with them talking about inverted time, they come up with a lot of, like, neat conclusions of, like, what are ways you could use this. And the coolest way they come up with, which is super dope, is the temporal pincer maneuver. And the idea is you have two teams going through a heist-type scenario or any complicated mission simultaneously, except one team is going through forwards in time and the other team is going backwards through time. And as they finish, they give detailed information to the other team who's about to start the mission that they just finished. Yeah. So everyone has perfect information for the mission they're about to go through. Um, what doesn't make fucking sense is having the inverted team being the one interacting with the forward-moving team to steal the gold when it should have just been a forward-moving team stealing the gold. <sighs> Fuck, alright, we'll just... Well, the, the point of this was, he went through the situation once, and then the inverted team had all the information, so they went back through the time to make sure they got everything they needed done. Yes. Once again, I want to follow just, like, a thing through this inverted path, <laughs> because the whole plan for the inverted team was they were going to travel along the highway to the point where the protagonist has now collected the plutonium and is driving away, and they're going to threaten Cat so that he has to give them the plutonium, and then they can take the plutonium and get the fuck away with it. And, however, if you just look at this temporally, because of the fact that going forwards in time, John David Washington takes the crate full of plutonium and throws it into their car, and then they drive away with it, that means that the crate has to have been in the car as they were driving to the meetup with John David Washington. So they knew they would get it. So they knew they would get it, which means that they just got in the car, saw a crate, and were like, rather than just taking this crate and going elsewhere, we now have to go backwards well, through time and give the crate back to John David Washington. To be fair, they couldn't, because what would happen then is they would not get the crate. I know, I'm just saying... Because I believe what happens is when they get the inver- when the inverter team gets the crate, they don't take it back with them, they pass it on to the forward-moving team. Sure, it's just yes. super weirdly presented because mm-hmm. they get the crate and then from the inverted team's perspective, they pick up the crate on the side of the road, bring it into their car, and then toss it to John David Washington's car and then kill another guy because of it. It's yeah, it's just weird. Well, that's the thing. I'm pretty sure like it doesn't show us specifically, but the only way that makes sense is if they did pass it off to the forward-moving team, who then knew they had the crate, but they knew they also had to invert to do all the stuff, otherwise they would never get the crate. Yeah, I think what... Because as uh, we get to mention quite a bit, uh, if it's happened, it's happened, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the weird perspective that it has to fall is the main reason this happens the way it does. It's because when John David Washington has the crate, he actually takes the plutonium out of the crate and throws the crate into the car with Seder and the plutonium into another car that the passing past. Realizing it's not actually plutonium, but another part of the algorithm. Yes, and he realizes that the person driving the other car, because he sees at the last second, it's actually him traveling backwards through time. But we'll fucking Which, get there. Which, I, I'm a little upset I didn't catch this on first yeah. viewing, because clearly the car was moving in reverse time, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. Based on what happened. So, he takes the car, or he takes the plutonium, throws it into that car. So, from the time reverse perspective, they get the crate, they throw the crate into John David Washington's car. But they happen to notice that he actually threw the plutonium into the other car. So now they have to tell... Well, that's because Sater also noticed that it was protagonist in the car. (laughs) Yeah. So now he tells the non-inverted team, follow this car backwards. Because it's going to explode and then reform into a normal car. And drive backwards Mm -hmm. away from it. 
follow the car, see where the car starts, and take the plutonium out of that car. Uh, In which case, the, the path of the uh, device then might actually be when they leave inverted from the warehouse, they put it into the car, knowing that that's the car that's going to be at the situation, and then it follows the path there to drop off the inverted one to the other team, so it actually gets uh, inverted with the team constantly. Yeah, so what I think... I think the path, if you just purely look at the algorithm piece path, uh, it's in the armored truck. They perform their whole moving heist to get it out of the armored truck. Don David Washington then throws it into his future time-reversed self's car, um, which he just watched unexplode and get back up and start driving in reverse. Which is why the reverse team had to pick it up from the car. Yes. So he throws it into that car. That car then drives backwards because he got in that car right next to the base that Sater owned. Yeah. Um, he puts... Uh, he drives back there not realizing that the machine is in his car that entire time. It goes flying out of... Alright, back to the fucking machine's perspective. <laughs> so it goes into John David Washington's car. It then drives in reverse all the way back to their base. They now know that full information so the non-inverted team can just go take it out of the car. Yeah. But since they're doing this after John David Washington... Gets into the car and drives away. From his perspective, it's in that car the whole time. But from their perspective, they just find the car parked out front. And they're like, oh, look, here's the object we were looking yeah, for. Yeah, so essentially the whole point of the chase is finding the spot where both those inverts meet. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's fucking weird. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a bunch of interesting... My, my issue with this was I had a hard time following Cat's movement through this whole... Yeah, Cat's happens. movement is a whole other fucking can of worms. Because is she inverted or is she not inverted? It's never fucking explained. Yeah, so... In the car that's moving an in invert, she's moving forward. Yes, so let's let's try and try... She's the only one without a mask, which means she's breathing air normally. Because yes. that's a cool thing they have to do. When you're inverted, you're actually breathing in CO2 and breathing out oxygen. Yeah, you have to breathe inverted air because of the fact that regular air doesn't interact with your lungs in the normal way. Yeah. Um, so, yes, they invert fucking CO2 and that's what you breathe in. Anyways... This is also the scene where we get a lot of a cool breakdown of what it looks like when you're the one who's inverted. Yeah. And you get a really cool explanation, which is super fucking cool, of as you're running, you'll feel the wind at your back, which is not how running usually works for normal people. Um, okay, the, the explosions and fire burning cold, I don't understand that part. That, like, I can understand why it should work that way. Okay. But the fire burning this, cold this makes I really sense. like, because... Hot and cold. Cold doesn't actually exist. It's, it's just, just heat an absence of thermal energy. Yeah, but shouldn't it mean that it shouldn't ice over like the car did? The car icing over doesn't make sense because the car is not inverted. So the car shouldn't ice over because neither the car nor the fire is inverted. John David Washington's the only thing inverted in that situation. Mm. So the car shouldn't have iced over. But I do like the logic of it's if like, you're in an if either you're in an inverted fire or you inverted or in a normal fire, the fact that you get cold. Makes perfect sense because the yeah. heat transfer system is literally reversed. Yeah. So uh, whereas a fire would normally be emitting heat onto you, it's instead sucking that heat back into the fire. Yeah, I, I guess the thing that screwed me up was the fact that the car iced over. Yeah. It's like, no matter what, there was nothing there that should have been ice. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also get like, I like his question of like, can I drive a car like this? And she's like... I don't know, man. Friction's gonna be all kinds of weird. <laughs> it's fucking cowboy bullshit. If you want to try, you can try. But, like, literally, I have no answers for you in this situation. <laughs> I don't know what driving a non-inverted car as an inverted person would be like. Yeah. Reverse a lot, I guess, and you'll go forwards. Um, so, anyways. But we found out that driving a car that's not inverted as an inverted person is 
kind of inverts the car. Kind of. Because the car is going to follow the path that you're doing, but it's doing it in reverse. So it's a four-moving car in an inverted situation. Yeah, it's fucking weird, man. This is the one scene that kind of has a lot of things doing multiple things together. So, as we said, like, Kat's moving forward in the inverted car that Sater's in. So that's where her story ends, is getting dropped off there. But at the same time, she gets shot, reversed right. by the bullet, in the interrogation scene, and he leaves with her to do the inverted thing, but is she inverted in that scene? Alright, so let's actually go through and follow Kat's path, because we talked about all the other things around this. This is, as you said, the scene with the most inverted yeah, and I, I would say out of everything in the movie, I, I, I grasp everything, but the, Kat's progression through this, this scene is just like, what the fuck's going on? Alright, so Kat is brought to their secret base with the turnstile. Because of the fact that uh, John David Washington insisted she be there for the handoff because he's the only one she... Uh, she's the only one he trusts. Yeah. Uh, so she gets brought there. Uh, fucking Seder, like, gives her the explanation of, like, you pretended you didn't know what my world was all about, but you've been living in the lap of luxury purely because of my world. And she gets all like, what about fuck you? What if I killed you right now? And he's like, you wouldn't do it. You're a timid little bitch. You would never threaten me like that. And she's like, oh, but I would. And then he like beats are real bad and so from that perspective she is then all right she is then put into the inverted car oh yeah she she's literally interacting with the inverted person but she actually never gets inverted in the scene yeah so from her perspective yeah. she is put into an inverted car and then driven <sighs> okay so i, I think i figured it out, i figured it out so she never leaves the warehouse until after the highway chase happens no, because she has to leave the warehouse because she's never actually inverted. So when inverted Seder takes her out of the warehouse, that's actually her walking into the warehouse for the second time. Like when we're watching it from John mm -hmm. David Washington's perspective and we see him dragging her in and putting the mask on, that's actually her traveling forward through time. And she has to wear the mask in that room because the oxygen in that room is inverted so that normal inverted people can breathe normally, which is why she has to wear the mask in that room. And then she's... So from Seder's perspective... He walks out of the turnstile, sees her there, shoots her, and then... Unshoots her. Un yeah, sorry. Unshoots her. Fuck! Ah! <laughs> this hurts my brain! Okay, so here's, here's what I'm thinking. So she pulls the gun on them in the scene, and he beats her, and then he's like, I'm going to use you, blah, blah, blah. And the heist happens. Now, because she's in the inverted car, and we find it that being in an inverted situation makes you move real all fucky, I think... She's getting inverted, like, kind of? Because the, the scene goes, she gets shot, reversed, taken out of the facility, and then the next scene is them in the car moving backwards through the heist scene. Yeah. And that's where her story ends in this loop, because she gets dropped off and captured by forward-moving Seder, who then takes her back to the warehouse for the interrogation. Mm. So, where did she get shot by the inverted bullet? So, oh, he must... Four moving Seder must take her to that room, shoot her, and then inverted Seder comes in and reverse shoots her. No, because we... She isn't shot when he first walks into the room. She gets shot by the reverse bullet, which is why she has a bullet wound going forward, but not before that point, because of the fact that she's still traveling forwards in time, not backwards in time. If she was traveling backwards in time at that point, she would have already had the bullet wound when John David Washington walked into the room. So the fact that she doesn't have a bullet wound at that point... But does at the end. They managed to duplicate Cat without putting it through a turnstile, which shouldn't be fucking possible. Now, the alternative to this would be 
there's two cats in the warehouse at that time because of what they're doing. One's inverted, one's not without her noticing she was inverted, which would explain why she had to wear the mask. So during the interrogation, it's inverted cat who they unvert. And then after they catch her in the warehouse, uh, not at the warehouse, in the chase scene, they take her back to the warehouse and they invert her before they shoot, like do the unshooting thing. And that's what he sees. Okay, so let's just, from the beginning, fucking Cat's Palace. She gets brought to the warehouse. We don't see her again for a little bit. Yeah. The next thing we see is John David Washington driving his car, and he sees that they're threatening Cat. They're all wearing masks. She's not wearing masks. Which so means she's moving forward. She's moving forward through time, <laughs> and it just looks fucking weird to her. <laughs> she's having the worst time ever. <laughs> yes. Because from her perspective, she was driven forward through... Backwards. She's driven forwards. She's driven backwards. Through forwards time. Is the car moving forward or backwards? The car was moving... The car is... Because the person driving the car was moving backwards. We know that. The car was moving forwards. Like, physically moving towards the front of the car. Whether it was inverted or not, who the fuck knows? (laughs) In fact, I'm going to go out and say the car was inverted just because the fact that they make it sound like such a weird fucking idea... Driving on a non-inverted car as an inverted person. So I feel like Sater fucking inverted the car just to make his life a lot easier at that point. So the car is inverted. Fuck it, it's inverted. We're done with that point. So she's brought to the warehouse. She then gets into the black SUV that they're driving, which is actually Sater. It's Sater moving forward through the event. Sater moving forward through the event. She gets into that whole situation with John David Washington. He jumps from his car to hers, ends up saving her life. And then they both get captured by Sater's men and brought back to the warehouse. And then they're brought to separate rooms. So this is the point when she's actually brought into the room and shot. But she isn't brought into the room. Okay, so here's the thing I'm thinking. So Sater has an inverted gun. Sater, after he captures her, takes her to the room and shoots her. So the bullet lodges in the window, thus creating the situation for it to get pulled backwards. So he shoots her while he's moving forward, while she's moving forward with an inverted gun. And then what could be happening is when Sato goes to the turnstile and is inve- interrogating her, it's past her who he unshoots and takes back. And so forward moving uh, cat doesn't have to be visible for this interrogation scene. It actually ruins the interrogation if he sees there's two cats because it gives the thing away. I'm going to end up breaking down the scene like a fucking week from now and I have a perfect <laughs> understanding. And it's it's just going to be a fucking process. All right, we'll, anyways. We'll do this at a later date. We'll... Be prepared for our next two podcasts to involve me talking about the scene at the fucking beginning. Or if you're smarter than us, send in an email explaining what happened to Kat during the scene. We will be very happy. You'll get a shout out and maybe a fourth seat. Who knows? Alright, so. Fuck it, let's just pretend like this scene makes sense. So, they end up seeing Kat's been shot with an inverted bullet and now the whole problem is because her wound's going backwards in time while she's going forwards in time, she needs to be inverted so that she can heal with her wound and her wound isn't healing backwards in time so they decide they need to go into a turnstile in order to reverse her but then Ives who has now been introduced brings up the fact of where the fuck are we going to bring her because she needs to be inverted for about a week we literally just gained access to this turnstile we needed access to a turnstile a week ago how the fuck are we going to do that and they're like you know what happened a week ago our fucking airport raid so if we go back there we can probably go through the turnstile there while security is down because of the explosion and then bring her through that turns out bring everyone back to a forward moving time uh which is a really cool moment because this is the point when you start to think oh i get it now the person who they fought later on 
was one of the two of them going backwards through time and then going through the inverter and going forwards through time. And it just looks like two people popped into existence yes. at once. Because that's literally the bouncing point in the timeline when he turned around. And this is also the interesting thing where uh, we end up getting a perspective like, oh, what else in this movie has been, you know, something going reverse that we, uh, has it been done through this method, right? Yeah. So, they go backwards for in time for a week. At this point, John David Washington starts to question Neil because Neil clearly knows more than he's letting on. There's no more at every point in the time. And Neil's like, ah, don't fucking worry about it. I just know stuff. And he's yeah, like, Neil's also a physics major or like has a doctorate in physics and he does the motion without saying the tenant thing, which yeah. uh, a lot of people point out might be uh, the inciting factor for giving uh, the protagonist the idea for the tenant in motion. Yeah. But he's already learned it at this point. But I think it like solidifies like, oh, this is the first time I've seen it technically. Yeah. Because uh, there has to be a fucking inciting Because that, that explains what this gesture is representing, right? Yeah. Because the thing I hate the most in fucking time movies or movies that fuck around with time is circular logic. So if the idea is he came up with the... Or he learned the gesture and code word from that one white guy at the beginning of the movie and then goes back in time and ends up teaching it to that one white guy. And he's like, you got to teach all of our new recruits this hand gesture and code word. Where the fuck did that hand gesture and code also, word Also, if you from? see someone that looks like me, don't worry about it. Yeah. So anyways, uh, they go backwards in time. He also realizes that fucking Robert Pattinson's been letting on more than he knows or hasn't been letting on all that he knows. And he's like, hey, bud, who the fuck recruited you? And he's like, don't worry about it. Stop asking so many questions. Well, he even says the thing. Tell you what. If we complete all this and we come out alive, you'll learn my life story. Yeah. Uh, and then I really like that bit of foreshadowing because he's not saying, I'll tell you everything. He's saying, if you survive this whole situation, you'll end up going through and living my life story yeah. with me. You'll learn it all as it fucking happens. Yeah. Um, but also, this is the point where if you're in the theater and you're like, they keep bringing up the fact that Robert Pattinson was recruited by someone and he's not saying who. It was clearly the protagonist who recruited him, yeah. just backwards in time. Which, uh, addressing that too, there's a lot of scenes in here that just kind of foreshadow that. Because uh, in the first scene, when he first meets him, from the protagonist's perspective, he immediately identifies, you don't drink on the job, here's the thing, and all that stuff. And it's pretty much, oh, he knew that because they were best of buds, not because he did his research. Because <laughs> at this point, it's very clear that when it comes to kind of like field work in general... I'm pretty sure Neil's a slacker when it comes to the day-to-day -day of the tenant facility. He didn't do research. Yeah. He, like, makes it very clear that there are some things he tries real hard at and there are other things he does not fucking The best plan he could come up with for why, how to start a fire in the airport was to crash a plane into the building. There's multiple other ways he could have started a fire. He's like, how can we sneak something past the fire or the metal detectors? I don't know. Fucking matches? Matches aren't metal. They don't get picked up by fucking metal detectors. Anyways, um... So, they, this is another one of those moments that they kind of break the logic of. So, they end up getting back to the airport, and they decide they're going to sneak into the facility while they're breaking into it, and go through the turnstiles to reverse time and bring them all backwards to a forward-facing time. And then, John David Washington gets a little bit too close to the plane that's exploding as they're going backwards in time. Oh, there's something I want to check before we do this, because we see them moving into the facility, both reversed and uh, in regular time, and... We see all these firefighters running up to the building like, gotta get this! And then we just see people slowly moving backwards with a stretcher. It's like, no, no one even stopped. Everyone was like, fuck it, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is a real fun moment, but at the same no time... No one's addressing these inverted people. To be fair, I feel like in the kind of chaos of the moment, you're not paying attention to individuals' actions. You're just like, 
big flaming fucking plane that's gonna kill a bunch of people. I'm not paying attention to people who are carrying stretchers. I like over the corner of my eyes see two people pulling a stretcher. Backwards. I'm not not paying too much attention what the direction they're fucking moving. <laughs> mm. um, especially when they're carrying the stretcher from their perspective away from the yeah. backwards away from the fucking explosion. Um, you think it would have been like Neil's like okay now we're going to move backwards so we don't alert anyone to any funky business going on. But you want to talk about real fucking funky business? They go on a big deal about explaining in that like cowboy scene earlier about how all of your physical interactions are reversed. So. Fire feels cold, friction moves backwards, you feel wind on your back when you're running forwards instead of pushing against your front. All that fun bullshit. But then, fucking the protagonist gets a little bit too close to an explosion, it gets knocked through a wall, but if everything's fucking reversed, shouldn't the explosion pull him towards the exploding thing, not knock him away from the exploding thing? I mean, to be fair, in the reverse that we get, he does get pulled in by the explosion. Because when we go through the first time with the protagonist, when the explosion happens, he gets pulled through the door... Well, yeah, he the door, through, and the door seals up behind him. He gets pulled through the door uh, from the explosion, but from his inverted perspective, all the forces should be reversed. So when yeah, so he, the, technically, when, what what pushed him through the door wasn't the thing exploding. They did a real poor job of showing it, but it would technically be the thing unexploding that pushed him through the door. But the thing didn't unexplode in real time. From I know. the forward perspective, it exploded outwards, and so from an inverted perspective, it would have kind of imploded inwards. And yet the force of it imploding knocked him backwards. It doesn't make fucking sense if you think about it for more than <laughs> half a second. Because uh, he gets too close to explosion, the thing explodes, even though that's really unexploding, and that knocks him away instead of pulling him closer. Yeah, the issue with this scene is, I do agree, they were showing both perspectives of forward and backward, even though all the characters were following moving backwards. But uh, essentially what happens is, because uh, I guess unexplosion should put out a force, because if an explosion would knock a person back normally then the act of it should knock a person forward if they're inverted. Yes. And that's why when we see from the protagonist's perspective earlier in that fight in the movie, when the explosion goes off, he gets pulled through the door and the door seals behind him, ending that, oh, that person was inverted and he's actually going nothing. But that's one of those cool things where the inverted fight initially in that first time, it's like, oh, it's just a fight happening and the guy's using inverted powers. And then we find out, no, it's the character going through the whole scene backwards. Yes. I just, I take issue with it just because of the fact that, like, it's a normal plane and a normal, like, everything about the situation is going forwards through time, except for the protagonist who's going backwards in time in that area. So I don't fully understand how uh, an explosion interacts with him normally. Yeah, I feel like just they showed it weird because the, the explosion they 100% showed moving forward in time when everyone in that scene was moving backwards in time until he goes through the door. Whatever. We'll fucking... Mm. I'll write Christopher Nolan a letter and be like, hey, you're dumb and wrong and bad. Also be friends with me. <laughs> be a guest on our podcast. It'll be fun. So anyways, they go through the turnstiles and now they're going backwards. Back to going forward through time. And this is at this point in time, there are three protagonists existing simultaneously. Because yeah. there's him going forward through time. There's the original him going forward through time. And there's the him going backwards in time to save Cat. It's fun to keep track of how many protagonists there are at any one I mean, point there's actually... Five at this point. Yes, but <laughs> we're only counting the ones we know about at this point in time. Because yeah, it's got to be the one from the original, uh, the, so the one from the end fight who has to go back through time normally while avoiding all of this shenanigans. And then there's the one who's in charge of uh, Tanet uh, also. Yeah. He's got to be moving around at this time. So at this point, the protagonist goes and finds Priya again. And he's like, hey, we're going to change things. And she's like, that's not how Tenet works. We don't change things. We uphold the status quo. And he's like, that's bullshit. I'm gonna go stop Seder. And she's like, 
no, you're not. You don't even know where it is. He's like, I do, and I'm the only one who knows where it is. And she's like, all right, fine, we'll work together and we'll do well, things your way. to be way. fair, the person who tells them where Seder is going, because we know that the facility is going to have the uh, algorithm and the bomb that's going to seal off the area and end the world because the algorithm triggers, which is tied to Seder's uh, wristwatch, which would it, uh, it's a dead man switch. When yeah. he dies, it triggers the algorithm and kills everybody. But they couldn't figure out where Seder was. And then who is it that fucking tells them where Seder is? It's Neil. <laughs> Well, no, it's Sir Michael who tells them where, no, but, where the facility is going to be. Yeah, but they, well, the, where Seder would go, where it was the happiest, it's Neil that tells them. Yes. Neil's like, oh, uh, like she's because uh, Kat's like, oh, it would have been like around this date, blah blah. And then Neil's like, no, it's specifically this day at this place. Yeah, yeah. Which adds into a theory we're going to talk about in a bit. Sure. All right. So uh, they end up now going backwards in time to getting back to the August the fourteenth, so that they can stop the fucking or. Explode the fucking facility, yeah. save the world, all that fun stuff. So, uh, one thing to point out here that's pretty cool too, uh, we get a color scheme introduced introduced during the uh, Seder pincer attack on the highway, where red indicates moving forward and blue indicates moving backwards, and this gets used more when they make the two teams to do the pincer attack on the base, red team is moving forward and blue team is moving backwards. Yeah. This also introduces a whole other fucking can of worms, because they get introduced to the fact that we've had a fucking turn cell the entire time. And fucking the protagonist is like, that's weird. Why why do we have the kind of technology? Because the whole point of Tenet is to prevent this technology from getting out into the world. Because if the technology gets out into the world, it will spell doom for the entire world and time will be broken. Um, which is the whole idea behind the algorithm. We're also told at this point that the idea behind the algorithm is the scientist who originally came up with the uh, way of reversing time uh, killed herself to stop her technology from being used yeah, to they, kill uh, people. Yeah, uh, alluded to Oppenheimer. Yes. Uh... Because she didn't want her technology to be used to kill humanity. But before she killed herself, she turned the algorithm that creates the time-reversing effect into a physical object that represents the algorithm. Which, let's not get into fucking <laughs> how. But sure, we'll accept that and fucking move yeah. on. Broke it into nine pieces and sent it backwards in time. Yes. Uh, so the whole idea is they have to... Seder wants to collect all these pieces of the algorithm, put them back together... So that he can then send that information back to the future so that they can figure out how to recreate this time-reversing effect and then kill everyone in the past in order to save the future. Yeah, because essentially what's... Because we never get a very straight story on this, but essentially what's implied is the future is having like an environmental collapse yeah. for resources. We and fucked over climate change so aggressively that the future thought the only way to save the world was to kill over us while we're still fucking with climate change. Yeah, because the idea of the people in the future is if we destroy the past, it will save the future, but not kill them because it's not a thing. Because how the uh, reversal of all the matter ends up working is it's not a set thing, so destroying the past actually doesn't destroy the future. <laughs> Which, to be fair, we don't know for sure that that's how it will work. Literally, Neil brings up the grandfather paradox and explains, like, yeah, if you go back in time and kill your grandfather, then you'll never exist to kill your grandfather, so did you actually kill your grandfather? And John David Washington's like, oh, so what's the answer? He's like, it's a paradox. Nobody fucking knows. All we know for sure is the people in the future have fully decided you can absolutely kill your grandfather and it'll be fucking fine. <laughs> and that, that's the thing. That would mean that it's like the split reality thing where it's like something's either going to match to fill its place or you're actually in another dimension, not a different time. But I don't think dimension hopping is what's going to fly in the Tenet universe. Yeah, it, that's not how we've seen the time effects work out in this where they don't actually change anything. It just kind of creates a situation yeah. that already exists. And even if they created a separate dimension... By sending a time backwards and a bomb backwards in time and killing the past, 
I don't think they hop over to the other dimension. I think they continue to exist in the fucked dimension. They just create a uh, dimension where they don't exist because the people are dead, but also the planet's good because the people are dead. Well, that's another thing. I don't th- like because with the rules and how we see things work in Tenet, I don't think you can change the past. No, I don't whatsoever. think you can. No. And Neil even alludes to this because there's so many things that could be changed uh, or should indicate the change never happened. <laughs> For example, Seder's plan, if it succeeds, since he's doing it back in time, everyone beyond that should have been eliminated. Yeah. yeah. So the Which fact that... also reminds me of the little conversation that the protagonist, Neil, had. It's like, oh, so since we're having this conversation right now, that means we won and stopped him from destroying the past. It's like, well, either that or we're just living out our twilight hours, essentially, and this is just all going yeah. to come to an end. If Seder actually succeeded, they, they would have all died, which means... Not only do they know specifically that they succeed, and they should know this going into this final battle, the fact that we also know that Neil is from the future, who gets recruited by the protagonist to come back and help him in this fight, means that he 100% knows that nothing will happen to the protagonist in this mission. Yeah. We also know a little bit more, which is... Well, we get a little bit of a moment later on where they kind of go through their temporal pincer on Seder's complex. Whole bunch of shit goes wrong. Uh... John David Washington ends up seeing that Neil dies during the whole situation while inverted. Um, and then he ends up kind of... He knows that he goes back to go through it a second time in order to save the world. Yeah, in this whole battle, there is about four or five Neils running around. Yeah, so everyone else exists only once because they actually do a perfect example of the temporal pincer maneuver. Which I think is really fucking cool. The they coolest the- thing about that is when they overlap it at the five minute mark and they both simultaneously flip the building. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although one of, one of my favorite things in that scene, I just died laughing when I saw oh, it. Oh, the person who got re-exploded into a wall? Not Her- that one. The one the squad was just running up. One random unfortunate guy just steps on a piece of rubble as a building reverse explodes. Yeah, the rubble just lifts up underneath him, flipping him on his face. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they have a ten minute window where they're going to perform this Temporal pincer maneuver. Because the explosion goes off in 10 minutes. At yes. the time of red team starting the attack. Yes. So they have essentially like a 20 minute window before this happens. The red team who's going forwards through time has a deep, or not a debriefing, but a mission like explanation of like, here's what's going to happen. A mission briefing. That's what I'm looking for. And like, here's what's going to happen. The thing is, the blue team who was going backwards through time has already gone through it. So we're going to use the information they give us. To inform you guys going forward. And then when you finish your mission, you're going to debrief us. And then we'll give that information to the blue team who's about to go through. Yeah, because they're an hour ahead in the crate. So they've already gone through the mission when the briefing's happening. Because the cool way they do this is both teams, blue and red, have the same drop-off and pickup point. But it's actually reversed. So when the mission starts, red team's getting dropped off and blue team's getting picked up. But that's because in the future, when red team is getting picked up, they were dropping off blue team who is inverted. Yeah. Uh... The best part is this is the part in the movie where they really start to fuck with verb tense. Yeah. Because, like, Ives, when he's giving the briefing at the beginning of the mission, he's like, and that are, the blue team already had this debriefing an hour from now. And it's like, that's not how fucking <laughs> verbs work. <laughs> it is in tenant. It is in fucking tenant. Uh, but, yeah, they go through this whole situation. Um, so we know Neil initially is traveling on the blue team going backwards in time. Yeah. Um, he ends up about halfway through a little... Before the five minute mark, I think it's around the three minute yeah, mark. Yeah, he gets to the mark where uh, he knows, because he also specifically knows about the super secret mission that only Ives and the protagonist should know about, and sees that the area where they would go gets booby trapped in reverse, so he can't do anything about it. So he ends up running back uh, to invert, well, he actually goes into the base, 
finds an inverting machine, the turnstile, inverts himself, comes back out, gets in a Humvee, and then drives to try to warn them. And then if you actually were to go back and look at the battle, you can see this Humvee that is doing the stuff, yeah, already no. doing the stuff. Yeah, like literally as they're running in, there's a Humvee chasing after them, honking on the horn. Mm -hmm. You're like, what's that about? And well, then you watch Neo... Even when Red Team gets off the helicopter at, uh, uh, at the beginning, you see a Humvee charging them and then make a quick turn. And yep. it's like, oh, that's the Humvee that Neo was in. Yeah. So Neil is going backwards through time. Uh, he finds a turnstile to try and go forwards in time to stop the protagonist from going into the secret tunnel. Uh, honks on the horn. They end up going in. It explodes behind them, so he knows he's in a difficult position. So he ends up bringing his Humvee to the top of the hole above where they're going to be. And ends up dropping a cable down so that once the protagonist defeats the uh, enemy, he can just throw the algorithm onto the chain. They can get dragged out. They don't have to die in the explosion. Because the original plan was for everyone who was aware of the final mission... Since they were going to see the algorithm, they had to die as a part of the mission so that the algorithm wouldn't be known by anyone alive. Yeah. Sure. I mean, it makes sense, and Ive even pulls the gun out of them, and it's like, oh, we can't let anyone be, and then he rips it, and he's like, we're just gonna go hide these first, and then kill yourself. Yeah. Uh, so then, fucking... <laughs> so, from Neil's perspective, he goes backwards in time through the mission initially, then forwards through time. Essentially, he's gone three lengths of this mission in the one of these ten minutes. He's, he's been in this situation for a full half hour. Yes. But at the same time... While the protagonist and Ives are down below fighting against the Russian who's down there, they see a dead member of Blue Team on the ground, and then they see him get inverted, stand back up, get shot in the head, and then save people's lives. Which really, that that's that's on the bad guy that was going to shoot them in the head for not cluing in. It's like, hmm, guy in front of the door, bullet wound to the head, I'm going to shoot this guy. Wait, he's starting the move, maybe I should stop firing. Yeah. So, he fucking dies, and then goes backwards in time, and... John David Washington, like, recognizes, oh, that's fucking Neil's backpack, that's... Well, he doesn't recognize it's Neil, he, he sees the coin, and yes. then he finds it later on that it's Neil. Yes. yes, anyways. So, as they're leaving, Neil brings up to the protagonist and Ives, like, I'm the only one who could have picked that lock down below, right? And they're like, yeah, I guess you're telling the truth. It's like, so I gotta go through one more time. And John David Washington's like, no, you don't. We're already done. Just fucking let what happened happen. Don't go back down there. You're gonna fucking die. Uh, which leads to, like, the mantra, which I'm a big fan of, which is, what's happened has happened, but that isn't, like, a sign of futility and just acceptance that means that you still have to go backwards and do what has happened to make sure that it continues to happen. Yeah. Um, which, uh, the, another thing about this, though, is because, okay, it has to be Neil, but we don't know that for sure because we never saw the face the first, we just know they have the coin. But at the same time, Neil doesn't have to go and do this immediately. Technically, he could still just dick around for quite some time and then go oh, back yeah. to do it at yeah. any point. But we also get some more really fun fucking lines at this point. Like, uh, the protagonist keeps fucking, like, before he goes down, he's like, this is probably the last time we'll ever speak. Just tell me who the fuck recruited you. And Neil's like, isn't it obvious at this point? You recruited me, just not when you think you did. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay. It leads to my favorite fucking line in this yeah. entire goddamn movie, which is, you've got a big future in the past, kid. And it's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, this is the uh, end of a beautiful friendship, but for you, it's just starting. Yeah. Uh, just in the future, remember to tell me that you don't drink on the job and what your favorite drink is, just so that I know. <laughs> so then, Tenet, or not Tenet, uh, John David Washington... Protagonist. Protagonist, thank you. Um, ends up kind of realizing that he's the one who actually founded Tenet as a whole. So he decides he has to kind of go through and clean up some things. Yeah, because he wants to leave Cat and Max alive, but... Priya's like, well, we can't. That's not how we operate. So he has to take out her. 
And he kind of reveals, like, I figured out that I'm the person in charge of Tenet. Yeah. Uh, so specifically his way of protecting Cat throughout the entire future is he just gives her a fucking recorder and he's like, anytime, like, anything happens at all, just, like, talk into this. Tell me where you are, what time it is, when you are. I'll make sure you're safe. And she just, like, fucking talks into it anytime she feels like something might yeah, be wrong. Yeah, it's a phone. She calls a number. And I'm guessing it's to an inverted voice mailbox. Well, I'm pretty sure it's just in the future. And then, like, a hundred years from now or whenever, he just, like, goes, checks the mailbox. He's like, all right, I'll just go through my list and go back and check out all these times. He's like, okay, yep. She called here. She called here. She called here. Oh, she didn't call here. Something happened between these two dates. Well, I think even more so, she only really calls the once about Priya because we know the way time works in this movie. She calls once about Priya. John David Washington kills fucking Priya for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is what we see. We see her, like, talking about how she wants to kill Kat before Max comes around because Max doesn't actually know anything about the whole situation. And then John David Washington's just in the backseat and he's like, so, this is what you call mercy. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm in charge of, like, tying up loose ends. This is my job. And he's like, no, it's not this whole time I thought I was working for you and your job was tying up loose ends when we've both been working for me and my job is tying up loose ends. <laughs> Which at the same time, he was only told that he was he recruited Neil and not that he was in charge of the organization. So we don't know for sure that he's actually the one in charge of Tenet. This also raises a whole other fucking can of worms, which is if he is the one who founded Tenet, that means that he has to go back in time to the very beginning and introduce Tenet to the world at some point in the past. But we've already been told you can only go back to the past if there's a turnstile there for you to use. So somehow he has to go to the first creation of turnstiles in human history and then come out and introduce the idea of turnstiles to the world. Which means, did he just like send blueprints back in time and hope like have to. a scientist like discovers it and builds a turnstile and then he comes out and he's like, hey, by the way, don't do this. Shoots him in the head and he's like, no one can know about turnstiles now because I'm in charge of Tenet. Because I'm actually sending the information back as well. Yeah. Well, that's how they kind of explain it, that, like, Tenet is slowly moving backwards in time because of this. So, yeah. uh, hypothetically, the more this affects the past, it could change the future at the same time. Because even though they kind of, in a sense, double down on fate, it still implies that, well, the only reason these things happen the way they do is because people choose to follow through with it or don't know, so they end up repeating it. Yeah. But they imply that uh, the protagonist at any point, could change something. Yes. And what the fall of that could be, it's hard to say. The movie kind of ends at this point with him watching Cat uh, finally leave with her son, Max, and that's kind of the end. And overall, I feel like the opera house is just kind of just separated from the whole movie, except for the fact that the reveal is that because we see the coin on the body and Neil has the coin at the end before he goes back to pick the lock, we also notice that the person who... Reverse shoots him at the beginning of... Or reverse shoots the bad guy at the, at the beginning of the movie. Is Neil because he also has the coin. Yeah. I thought... So going into this, as soon as I kind of realized the time reversing effects, I assumed the reveal was going to be that it was actually John David Washington going back in time and saving himself in the opera. And then when we get the coin reveal at the end and him realizing that it's Neil, I was like, that... I 100% didn't... Well, here's the thing, too. Mm-hmm. That could still be technically the protagonist. Uh, the protagonist. Because if we think about it... Uh, it doesn't really definitively answer any of those questions about who it is because they do make the point of keeping the mask. And at the same time, we don't really see the founder protagonist at any point. So it could be he doesn't want Neil to die. So he's like, well, Neil, you've done all this work. Finally live with a life that you can enjoy. I'm going to go pick the lock because I got better at it from that moment back in the airport. I don't break the picks anymore. Yeah. He's like, hey, by the way, like for all we know, Neil wears the coin on his backpack because and the protagonist I, gave it to him. Uh, well, mm-hmm. because the protagonist gave it to him. Or just like the protagonist starts doing it 
as a way of honoring Neil, his friend who dies, and then he meets Neil, and Neil's like, wow, you're such a cool guy. I'm going to do that too. So for all we know, the protagonist in the future who's also in the past and founded Tenet is the one who actually originated the wearing of the coin on the backpack. So that could Mm -hmm. still be the protagonist who wears the coin who saves him in the opera and could theoretically even be the protagonist who dies down below. And all we know is like 30 seconds after that scene where Neil's like, got to go through it again because that's what happened. The protagonist from the future just shows up and taps on the shoulder and is like, hey, by the way, you're good. You're just like, go drink some mojitos. I got this one, bud. (laughs) Uh, And even though Christopher Nolan doesn't tend to do this at all, I think this does set up the potential of doing a sequel. I do. I know Christopher Nolan doesn't do sequels. I do think it would be fascinating to see not even a movie following the protagonist, but just another movie built around the world that they kind of constructed here following mm-hmm. the rules. Well, it's because at the same time, time they, don't, they don't really address who's sending the stuff back to try to end the world at this point and what that implies. And we could even get some payoff to the opera house and uh, the death of Neil at the end and what that might be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which also leads me into, there's a big theory around Neil, which you might have heard. Have both of you heard the Neil theory? I have. Don't think so. Neil is Max. Cat's son. Ooh. Oh. So the reason this works, there's a few interesting things about this. They're both blonde. Yep, they're both blonde. Uh, Neil can speak Estonian and has a British accent. And Estonian is a very hard language to learn for an English speaker. Uh, Kat is British and Seder is Estonian. Uh, Neil seems to know a lot about what's going on and is very close to the protagonist. So it suggests that he might be close to the protagonist because the protagonist was always looking after him and his mother. So that later on in life, he ends up getting recruited by the protagonist to be a part of Tenet. And ends up realizing he has to go back in time because he hears all the stories. Oh, I like that theory. It gets a little bit more interesting, though. For example, the name Neil. Well, if we take the name Max, we can assume... So this is taking a bit of a logical step, but Max, Maximilian, would be the long form of that. And if you reverse Maximilian, the last four letters are Neil. And we know that Nolan loves fucking reversing things in this. (laughs) I'm... I think it's an interesting theory. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm not saying it like it doesn't yes. make the story better and I don't have to believe it's true, but it's a very interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Because that means that the the loop of Neil it actually starts with Max, and Max is present through the whole story as well. I personally don't I don't think I'm gonna buy into this theory. Just for the pure fact of like the protagonist makes a point of saying like even though he's gonna look out for Max and Cat in the future. He's going to try and keep her as separate from this as a whole because he doesn't want to endanger her or her son. So yeah. I, I find it hard to believe that he decides to keep them separate because he wants to keep them safe. And then at a certain point, it's just like, fuck it, kid, you're now fighting crime time. Well, it could be a situation where he doesn't like, or he sees that, oh, that's Neil, and then has to recruit him to keep the timeline going, stuff like that. Fair. Uh, but at the same time, it also a uh, thing that some people point out is the fact that when he first meets the protagonist and they're talking about it, how to get the, the location with Priya, he's like, would you take a child pr- prisoner or hostage? Would you take a woman hostage? And that's some people have taken as foreshadowing, like, he's testing the protagonist at this point in time to see if he's the man that he worked for. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's Max, but mm-hmm. it's showing that he has uh, attention to specifically Max and Cat. Uh, and also, he takes a lot of care of Cat uh, when she gets shot. Like, he goes above and beyond, even though he's not medically trained. And at the same time, he also knew the exact date of where Seder would be on the boat. Yeah. So that's the implication that suggests that he might be Max. And Christopher Nolan has even accidentally said in an interview that Neil is a person who has many uh, loops within the story and goes by many names. Neil might not even be his real name. <laughs> Specifically what Nolan said. 
Fair. Huh. Which at the same time, it also makes sense that I don't think Neil is his real name regardless of him being Max or not because by giving his name, that also causes some complications down the line where the protagonist, before actually physically meeting him, might seek him out or give special treatment based on knowing who he is because of what happens. Fair. Mm-hmm. I prefer to think of the idea that the protagonist actually takes Neil's place at the end of the movie and sacrifices his life so Neil can continue to live. And then Neil ends up going back in time and is the old white guy who introduces the protagonist <laughs> to Tennant. Another uh, problem with uh, the Max-Neil thing is the fact that where time moves linear when you're traveling through time, Max being so young would mean he'd be in his probably 20s when he gets recruited and has to get sent back in time to do all this shit. Yeah. The only way that their ages even kind of line up is if Max ends up spending a fuckload of time being inverted and reinverted and living through the same time period over and over again. Otherwise, the protagonist is always just going to be insanely older than him. Yeah. Which is uh, one of the things that kind of works against the whole thing. Uh, A few other things I want to address because we didn't really talk about Seder on the boat. So one of the big plot points was Kat ends up... Uh, coming very distant from her husband because she believes he's cheating on with a woman that she's jumped off a boat during the trip. And then at the end, we had to find out that was her killing her uh, satyr and then jumping off the boat. That was a really cool moment because Kat talks about that moment where she saw another woman jump off the boat and she talks about how she was really envious of this woman. And protectors like, you don't seem like the type who'd be jealous of people who get to sleep with your husband. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm not jealous of that. I'm jealous of the fact that she was free, that she got to leave. So the fact that, like, later on in the movie, she gets to realize, oh, fuck, I'm the free one who f- f- swims away from the boat. Also, I get to kill my husband. It's a win-win day. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. a satyr, because we find out that satyr disappeared from this boat after a while. So essentially, we have a situation where it's future satyr and future cat talking on this boat that they both disappeared from for a small amount of period, thinking that, well, satyr thinks that's his wife from that time period, and she's like, I gotta kill this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do really enjoy that. Like, both of them happen to leave at the same time. Seder knowing full well that he's not going to be there. Cat knowing she's not going to be there. But Seder expecting Cat not to be there because, like, he just got word that she was leaving the boat to go to the island. And then finding her there. And then that whole, like, little investigation they kind of play with each other where he's trying to figure out if it's her from the future or her from the past. Yeah. And the big reveal being, like, her pulling out a gun and being like, well, because there's the scene earlier where she pulls the gun on Seder. And Seder's like, you're not angry. Because anger scabs over into depression and I can see that you're kind of given up already and you know you're not going to be able to kill me. And then when she pulls the gun on him later, she's like, what do you see in my eyes? Do you see anger or do you see depression? <laughs> and then she just fucking shoots him and he's like, I'm the vengeful bitch from the future, not your loving wife from this time. Now, there's one other thing from the scene I want to address that's pretty funny considering what we spoke about earlier. But Seder is on this boat and he's planning on taking a suicide pill, which is CIA issue. Which yep. means his plan is to kill himself and end the world. But even taking that, if we know what we know about the CIA pills up to this point, that won't kill him. Which means his plan is doomed to fail from the start regardless of him taking this pill. <laughs> but does that mean he also has a chance of getting recruited by that white guy for tenant? Yes. <laughs> oh my god. A hundred percent. If we know anything about suicide pills, they put you into a medically induced coma. I really like the idea of him like taking the pill, going into the coma, and then the protagonist like discovering that he's taking the pill. And rather than being like... Oh, no, 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 we, we can't recruit him. Let's just keep him in a coma forever. That way we know that the algorithm doesn't get him because his heart never fucking stops. Yeah, so he just has the CIA pill that he's going to kill himself with. And the CIA side's like, that's not going to kill him if anything we've learned about these CIA pills is true. I mean, to be fair, all we know for sure is that the one that uh, the protagonist took didn't kill him. 
So it's entirely possible that other suicide pills do actually kill you. But I choose to believe that suicide pills are incapable of killing Specifically, the silver CIA ones do not kill you. Yeah. They pass you on to the tenant program. Yeah. The silver brand just knocks you unconscious and destroys your jaw. I love the idea of him being woken up on the boat by the guy and the guy explaining, like, there's some weird stuff going on in the world. We've got to prevent World War Three. It's like, fuck! <laughs> I'm trying to cause World War Three. Why am I now on the team preventing it? <laughs> well, I guess I don't get a choice. I mean, they recruited me fair and square. I suppose I'll play my part and work for you guys and try and stop me from the past. <laughs> I have a new lease on life. Any other conspiracy theories you want to share, Keith? No, that was just kind of the big one that's been cool. making its rounds. Uh, I initially wanted to make a Peter game for this episode, and then realized that while I certainly have a lot of questions I could ask, I'm not confident enough in my own answers to grade whether or not you got it's got any of them right. Uh, one thing I, I do want to mention just about the, the Max uh, Neil theory, though, is partway through the movie, when Neil started knowing a lot of things, I actually started thinking, oh, he might be her da- his, like uh, her son. Because, like, when she got shot, his reaction all stuff. It's like, I think that's going to be the twist. And then never address it. Yeah. Yeah, but hey, maybe sequel. Yeah, maybe. I, I think this would be a cool world to explore more. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would like him to return to it, but Christopher Nolan doesn't tend to do like, that. Not even... Even if it's Unless not... it's a Batman, Batman movie. Yeah, like, well, that was a contract obligation. Yes. But even if it's not a sequel, but just in this world with the established, like, tenant yeah. organization. Well, I think it'd be fascinating to see, like... Because, as we said, tenant was... Maybe in the future and goes backwards through time yeah it'd be fascinating to see like this exact same technology existing further and further backwards in time like fucking pirate times but we've gotten inverted pirates (laughs) fighting fucking Neil's still around doing shit yeah see a pirate ship sailing backwards like yes the protagonist like on the helm of a ship being like avast you mateys and they're like shouldn't like not to be a that guy but like this is a bad time for you to be around protagonist (laughs) There's like there's a certain aspect of you that's not okay in this if time. They, if they did a sequel, what I would like to see is we get Neil's story because they the way everything works, Neil being from the future, even though he dies in this movie, which I'm going to assume that's what statically happens to otherwise, it allows you to bring back almost all the cast and have another story with them, which is pretty cool. And it, seeing Neil's story unfold uh, with the protagonist being that mentor position now, I think could add a real cool dynamic where the because we know fucking. Uh, Christopher Nolan loves loops and putting things backwards, just creating a loop of movies that go back onto each other where the ending of the second movie starts off the first movie. It just works. Yeah. I do think it would be really cool essentially to like present another movie almost like a buddy cop style movie because from what we understand, like we get further information. As we said, Neil, during his kind of meeting with John David Washington, after John David Washington realizes that the person they were fighting is his himself inverted and that Neil knew all along. It's like, why didn't you tell me? Neil's like, our policy has always been suppression. He then, uh, the protagonist's like, whose policy? And Neil's like, our policy, the two of us. It was our policy of suppression. Which kind of implies that not only did the protagonist found Tenet, but he kind of co-founded it with Neil. Like, he went back, found Neil, whether it was Max from the future or just some guy with a physics degree from the past who he found and was like, Hey, we're going to stop time together with me. Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. like, I, think I, got, I got, I'm putting a team together. It's you, 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 me, 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 you, me, and you. We also might have to deal with me and you a little bit in the future, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Now, if you see me, but from other me, then don't do anything to suggest to me that me is existing in this me. But what? I, <laughs> I think it would be really fascinating to watch kind of like a buddy cop movie of just like the two of them kind of starting tenant together and like, going around recruiting fucking Priya, 
like, setting up this whole system of how they're going to fucking run things. And, like, watching them, like, slowly start to unravel the crime. While the protagonist already knows the answers to all the problems that they're going to come across. He's but just, knows he can't give them to other people so because he needs to let things play out the exact same way. So he's just trying to figure out how to put the pieces into the position that they need to be in to play forwards. Yeah, and he's just... It's essentially like him playing chess, but instead of trying to win the game of chess, he's just trying to get all the pieces in the right place for the future game of chess that he's going to take over as well, a younger son. Neil even says at the end, like, this whole operation was your doing from the future, which means the protagonist had to like, memorize a shitload of stuff and then make sure everything was in the right place. Yeah. So I think, I think that would be a fascinating film of mm. the two of them, like, creating this tenant organization and just, like, manipulating the world to the point where it's really in a good place for them to take over or just send the time further backwards. And also, it doesn't have to be a sequel. It can be a prequel. That just happens after the first Well, I, I think we have to go with the Borderlands naming uh, conditions and call it a pre-sequel because it's both a sequel to this movie and a prequel to this movie. <laughs> I wanted to name it Tenet, but instead of going side to side, it's just up and down. How do you read that? <laughs> Tenet. I want them to call it Netten and it's just N-E-T-E-N. <laughs> Tenon, but inverted. So, do we have a question for the audience? I didn't really prepare that much. Did you understand the movie? No, I know what question I want. It's like, tell me what happened to Cat in the oh, Highway yeah. scene. Yeah, sorry. Fuck like a normal question. Tell us what the fuck Cat's timeline is during that scene. Not even just Cat's timeline. Give me a moment-by-moment breakdown of everyone. Please make sure to mark whether they're initial or inverted or another version of themselves going forwards through time. Give me a moment-by-moment breakdown of that fucking scene. No, everyone else in that highway scene is fine. It's Cat. Everyone else is pretty straightforward, but Cat, what the fuck's going on? I need to know everyone. Tell me fucking everyone. That's a question. Uh, recommendations. Do you guys have recommendations for things outside of Tenet? Yes. In regards to uh, time travel, since, well, Tenet wasn't really time travel, time manipulation, cause, or whatever. Uh, I recommend Timeline. Something that actually deals with uh, time travel. And, uh, plays a bit more into that you don't really have any free will because everything that happened happened for a reason and it's not going to be changed. Fair? Well, not quite. That, that movie well, is one of the ones where well, it's, uh, it's, life finds a way type of movie. Yeah, it, it's kind of open, but uh, what you do doesn't really change anything in the present except little minor details. What happened still happened. Uh, so... Uh, I'm going to suggest Onimosha 3, which is a really fun game that actually deals with uh, time travel as well. Because uh, there's not really anything that deals with time travel like Tenet does, which is really refreshing because not only is it new media finally, but it's something new within that as well. But uh, the concept of Onimosha is a series of a samurai who's fighting demons in feudal Japan. But Onimosha 3 involves time travel, so you actually play Jean Reno, a Frenchman uh, agent in France, and it's you traveling between both times with both characters. And... A lot of the puzzles in the game is you doing something in the future or the past that influences what the person in the other timeline can do. Cool. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to recommend Primer. Uh, it's another movie about time travel-ish things. Uh, I like it because kind of similar to Tenet, they like very rigidly figured out the rules for time travel in their universe. And they don't fuck around with those rules at all. So the whole it also deals with the whole idea of like in order to go back 12 hours in time... You have to spend 12 hours inside their time machine, literally traveling backwards at the same pace that you work. Uh, There's extra special rules, like in order to travel back to a time, you have to have a time machine that you turned on at the time you want to travel backwards to. So 
If you want to go back to Monday, you have to have already had a time machine that existed on Monday that was turned on with the express purpose of you going back to that machine on Monday. So they have these really rigid rules, kind of different from Tenet, instead of having the whole fate and things play out the way they do every time. Every time you go back, it creates a split reality, and now you're in a different timeline that split off at the point that you came back to. Yeah, that's kind of what they did with the Marvel movies. Uh, another, actually, another pseudo-recommendation. If you like Tenet and Christopher Nolan, check out Memento, because it's kind of like Tenet Light with no actual time travel, but the movie sure presented in that way. Yeah, it's like Tenet if they didn't have the time travel, but still wanted to tell a story backwards. That's what it is. Yeah. So, uh, those are our recommendations. Make sure you tune in in a... Oh, actually, did anyone get our Fortnite? And do we have any... Not our Fortnite. Did anyone get our Instagram post? No, no one's beat me in Fortnite. And do we have any comments or emails or anything we want to address? Yeah, so no one has guessed it correctly at this point. Uh, and we do not have any new emails. Uh, any YouTube comments? So no, uh, no comments on any of our channels at this point. Alright, so uh, if that's the case, then thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure you uh, kind of check out our Instagram and stay on top of that. If you do see what our, or do manage to guess what our topic is about before the episode goes live on Monday, we will make sure to call you out in subsequent episodes as soon as we notice that you correctly guessed. Uh, you can find our podcast on all major podcasting services, uh, as well as on YouTube now. So also feel free to shoot us comments there. Bully us in the comments section. That's that's a thing that happens on YouTube pretty regularly. I mean, that's what the comments are for. Yep. Uh, you can also reach us by emailing us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. That's whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. All those words are spelt the way they are normally spelt. There are no fun spellings or anything in that. No um, umlauts. No umlauts. No at signs instead of an A, except for the one that's at gmail.com. I shouldn't have used that as an example of something that's different. Uh, if you do have a question or want to let us know what we should make our podcast about, hit us up in our email section. Make sure you tune back in in a fortnight to uh, listen to our next episode. Uh, and if you do tune in in a fortnight, prepare to get schooled.